Hi, hi, hi there, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm a droog. <laughs> and we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Um, this week, we are continuing our 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick, um, where we've been watching chronologically the films of Kubrick and discussing them in detail each week. This week, we are discussing A Clockwork Orange from 1971, starring Malcolm McDowell. Um, Before we jump into the film and other films that we've been watching this week, though, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show, subscribing, um, all that good stuff. It means a lot to us. Um, If you're new to the show, um, yeah, go back and check out our past episodes. We have a lot up there. Um, Hit subscribe as well. So um, each time an episode drops, which is on a Sunday, you'll get it first. Um, and yeah, just be a part of what we're trying to build, which is a church of film lovers. Um, you can find us on all the social media platforms at film church radio, where you can leave us a comment or send a message about the show. Um, and we'd also love for you to rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you're streaming from. Um, perfect. Before we discuss the main film though, Clockwork Orange, what Brian and I like to do is talk about the other films we've been watching this week. Cause we, we watch a lot of films, um, and we want to give every film that we watch some kind of analysis. <laughs> so, Brandon, what have you been watching this week, my friend? Hi, hi, hi there, Lewis. I've been watching <laughs> uh, oh, quite a few things, um, yeah. starting with uh, The Living End okay. from 1992. Um, I think I had heard of this uh, director before because John Krasinski had worked with him, Greg Araki. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an Asian filmmaker, uh, queer filmmaker, and um, I was talking to our mutual friend Zach, who's been on the show for several episodes, about this movie idea I have, and he recommended this as a as a watch for me. Um, so I decided to give it a watch, and I really liked it a lot. It's um, it's a very intense queer film. I don't mm. want to give too much away, but it's, I mean, it's as 90s as you can get as well, which I love, like, I don't know, like 90s, like low budget 90s movies just have like this, I don't know, unmistakable kind of feel to them yeah. or aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's the style of the time and like, you know, the, the stuff people wear and all that kind of stuff too. So, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's a... Um, I don't know. It's not a happy movie, <laughs> you know. It's not gonna 
leaves you full of butterflies. But um, I don't know. I, I got to watch it again a few more times to really kind of analyze it, I guess, because I'm not yeah. sure what it is that I like so much about the movie Yeah, at the moment. I just liked it. Yeah. Um, the characters just felt feeling. very real. The dialogue mm. felt very real. Um, it, like, it, even the side character stuff was really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely want to watch more of his films, um, and see what he's all about. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I did watch another one of his films right after the one with John Krasinski in it, uh, from 2007 called Smiley Face. Um, it also has Anna Ferris. She's the main character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it was pretty good. It was pretty funny. Like it, it's, it was a totally different kind of movie. It's kind of like a stoner, a stoner movie about this mm. chick trying to like get across town for something. It, yeah. The plot is very kind of loose. Like she's trying, like she's trying to do something the whole time, but yeah. she's like super stoned the whole time. So <laughs> it kind of goes off the rails several yeah. times. But it's kind of just like a weird, quirky, like stoner comedy, but not really. It it's not. I mean, it's from two thousand seven, and that era of like comedies, I think you can recognize very easily. Like J- Judd Apatow kind of ruled that era, yeah. Yeah. but this is not the same kind of comedy at all. You yeah. know, it it feels like a totally different thing, and. Um, Anna Ferris, I feel like give she gives a really good performance in the movie. Um, yeah, and she's somebody that I kind of like. She she also kind of ruled that like two thousands early two thousands era. Mm. Um, like it just seems like she was in every comedy. You know, you just saw yeah. her everywhere. Um, around the same time as like the scary movies as well, right? Because mm-hmm, she was yeah. a big part of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in Waiting. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I know she um, she has like a podcast that is doing really well right now. I forget what it's called, but um, yeah, I wish I. It made me be like, man, I wish I saw her in more of like bigger films. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, she's kind of one of those. I grew up watching her. You know, mm. um, so it was cool to to see her in this, um, and of course, John Krasinski is. It's great. He's yeah. It's like right. It's I think it's like in between season one and season two of The Office. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> when he did this, um, and he's pretty. He's bas- He's kind of like Dwight. It's like yeah. him doing Dwight almost <laughs> in the movie. Um, and then Danny Masterson is also in it. Okay, cool. Um, and his part of the movie did not age well. It's oh, a little bit. Uh, it's funny. But it's also it it makes you cringe now mm-hmm. because of his scandals. Um so that's a little unfortunate, but yeah. It was it was a pretty great movie. Um I didn't like it as much as the other one, but it's yeah. it, you know, Greg Iraqi's got me interested in, in his work, so I'm gonna go and check out more of his stuff. Um cool. what else did I watch? cocaine bear i talked about it a yeah. little bit last week with yeah. jason yeah it was good like 
it's it's uh kind of exactly what you expect mm. it was great to watch it with like like i watched it i think on a saturday opening weekend nice and you know people were just cracking up the entire time it went further than i thought it would which i like mm. um and uh yeah i think i mean i think it's going to kind of become maybe like a kind of a cult classic comedy yeah maybe they'll do a sequel i don't know it feels i hesitate to call it like really really good i gave it three and a half um because it does have this it has this like almost sharknado kind of vibe to it where it's just like unbelievably ridiculous mm-hmm. but it it's definitely several steps above that because of the act because of the acting that's in it like the actors that yeah. are in it are great it's got um margo martindale of course we talked about last week it's got <laughs> um carrie russell ray liotta um it's got uh the ikea guy yeah, from yeah. the TikTok, IKEA guy TikToks, yeah. yeah, um, which is amazing. And uh, who else was I going to talk about? Oh, Alden Ehrenreich is also in it, mm. who it plays, you know, young Han Solo in the yeah, yeah, um, the Solo movie. And uh, I was thinking as the movie was starting, I was like, I wonder if. Alden Ehrenreich will ever work with Lord and Miller again, the guys that originally started making the solo movie and then, you know, were let go and then Ron Howard was brought in. And then I saw that Lord and Miller were producers on Cocaine Bear. Yeah. So I was like, oh, they are working with him again. Cool. Yeah. So I guess the, because I don't know, there was all kinds of rumors going around whenever that whole thing happened and I thought there was like beef between the two directors and the main actor um but i guess if there was you know they worked him out or or they yeah. you know those were yeah. just rumors or something but yeah i mean phil lord and and chris miller they're they're great like they're like i love all of their stuff um we've talked about them before i mean spider-man into the spider-verse the animation mm-hmm. is incredible the 21 jump street movies um yeah the lego movie you know Mm. um and uh yeah i mean obviously comedy is kind of their their big thing yeah so i think it's it's a good watch it's uh i think something something everybody is going to end up seeing yeah you just it's like the perfect kind of ridiculous premise that everyone's going to be like what is that? I have to see it. <laughs> I know. I think it'll really hit its stride when it comes to streaming. It's got a very, like, uh, 90s, noughties kind of video store feel to it. A yeah. lot of people are going to kind of pick it up and and watch it, I think, um, when it comes to streaming. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, every, I think everybody's just going to see it at some point. Yeah. Um, and then I also watched... The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, like, I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I grew up on them, read the books when I was a kid. And uh, normally my go-to is the first one. It's my favorite, Mm. The Fellowship of the Ring. But I was just like, well, I'd 
who was it? Um, oh, it was uh, when I started working at Alamo Draft House. They, uh, one of the guys I was starting, we, we were all talking about what our favorite movies were, and he said that the Two Towers was his favorite movie, and brought up a bunch of points. And so, yeah, yeah, I just decided let me watch Good this. Yeah, just put it on, um, you know, for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's amazing. It's incredible. Mm. You know, I love all of these movies so much. So, you know, yeah, that's great. I, good I, things. I need a big rewatch at some point. I, I feel like it's been quite a few years since I've actually watched one. So yeah. needing to go back and watch something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I've watched them so many times. So now I'm just like, I'll just put one on every once yeah. in a while. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like comfort. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. So what have you been watching, my little Droog? <laughs> I have been um, carrying on with the Criterion Challenge, um, which I talked about a few oh, weeks yes. ago. Um, so I've watched um, a few a few kind of like films that have been on my watch list for a while, which has been good. Um, I, I finally watched my first Fellini film. Um, it's taken me a long time to get around to it. Um, I watched La Strada. Uh, from 1954 um Fellini it's it's um it's basically about a a a girl that kind of becomes part of this circus family and like it's very Shakespearean in like the tragedy elements of it and kind of where the film goes and what it shows you know very realistic and and dirty and messy and you know all the kind of things you want from an Italian film from the 50s. Yeah. Um, and it's the main performance um, from Gilletta Messina um, is so influenced by Chaplin, it kind of threw me off guard a little bit. Yeah. She she pretty much plays a female version of Charlie Chaplin throughout the whole film. And I think it's very obvious that she's doing it. And yeah. at first I was like, is this working? But it really works. You know, yeah. I think straight away you get the kind of the the tragic comedy that Chaplin was so good at, and I think yeah. that's the reason they were doing it to kind of you know to get across this feeling without having to say it, you right? Know, so yeah. we know what kind it's you know it's very much like the Tramp, you know, the kind of character that they are from the opening scene, yeah. Um, and I I just loved it. I just Sweet. had a really good time with it. It was very well made, you know, a great story. And, and yeah, I mean, going to be watching a lot more Fellini, I'm sure, this year because um, this really worked for me. Um, Heck yeah. Which was great. And then I watched Carnival of Souls from 1962. Um, a bit more of a horror film. It's kind of like, I think it's 67 minutes. It's really short. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, the premise is interesting, but apart from the premise, there's not much there. And there's a few really startling um, images in there and like scenes that really are like, oh, wow, that, that's pretty good. Um, but you can tell it was made on a really low budget. Um, and, you know, like I said, apart from the main premise, there's not a lot going on there. Um, it wasn't a film that I enjoyed, I don't think. You know, when I finished, I was like, okay. Um, yeah. But the poster you know, looks cool. Yeah, that's it. Like, And I think that that's kind of it you know yeah um i don't know i don't know i think i had to watch it in two parts just for you know for 
life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then maybe that took away from it. I, I think that seeing it in one sitting would kind of keep the ambience going. Right. Um, but yeah, it just left me a bit cold. So yeah. Um, one to revisit, I think, but not one that I particularly liked. Yeah. Um, and then I rounded out the week. I watched The Kid Brother from 1927, a Harold Lloyd silent comedy. Um, watched quite a lot of Lloyd last year. And when I was doing, you know, just reading up on him, it seemed like this was one of his favorite films. Yeah. Um, so I got a chance to watch it. Um, I don't think it's my favorite Lloyd. I think that there's a lot in there where there's not, you know, it's not the same filmmaking as Chaplin and, and Keaton. Whereas with Keaton, there's a joke coming like every like 30 seconds. Yeah. And with Chaplin, there's a lot of heart. Whereas with Lloyd, it's a bit more um, plodding. I guess it's hard to kind of, I don't want to play it down, but there's a lot more like character building, I guess. There's a lot more, you know, character moments. Um, And I mean, there was some really inventive and funny parts and, um, and it does work, you know, it is a, is a strong comedy. It just one. it's just not my favorite Lloyd. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But one that I'm glad that I've, uh, I've ticked off. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, I mean, we went back and watched the, the new Star Wars trilogy. That's right. Yeah, I saw yeah. that you were doing that. Um, is that because you started watching The Mandalorian? I think it was part of it. I mean, we had been talking about, you know, the the last trilogy a little bit, me and my wife, and she was like, I don't think I've seen the last one like that much at all. Yeah. You know, The Rise of Skywalker, because I know that I'd seen it in cinemas a few times and I watched it when it came out um, on home video and stuff. Um, and I was like, I'd, I'm not really that sure i want to go back and revisit it you know yeah um but one night we were like okay let's do it so we started off with the rise of skywalker and we watched that um and then we went back and watched the the two preceding it um and rise of sky i mean my my bugbears are still there you know i'm still yeah. not on board with the way they take the to take the story or the characters or anything like that it feels i don't know it just doesn't i don't like it it was just um, so off yeah, I mean, just I bringing the emperor back was just like, what is this? Yeah, is exactly. This? And it just it makes me annoyed more than anything. Yeah, because I feel like um, the the Force Awakens and Last Jedi are, are great. You know, both of them I have a really good time with. I know that the Last yeah. Jedi has its um, has its critics, and I can yeah. see why. I can, you know, not everything in there does work, but I mean, compared to the, you know the terribleness of well yeah i mean it was just like the first two movies just kept building up kept building up to something you know and it was like okay last one we're gonna get all the answers and it was like what yeah not those answers because i think that the first hour of it is really fun you know it's like this good fashion star wars planet to planet you know kind of thing and then it just loses me which is a shame um but you know, I'm glad I've gone back and rewatched them. Wanted yeah. to do that at some point. Kind and of pulled the band feel, off. How do you feel about Mando right now? I've only watched yeah. the first episode of season Same three, here. but yeah. yeah. I mean, I just love having it back in my life. It's like such a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and they've just like hit their st- I mean, they yeah. they hit their stride a while ago, but like mm-hmm. just seeing it come back and like that opening sequence where they show up together in the ship. Yeah. You're just like, man, this is just yeah perfect 
It's just, yeah, it's what I want. And yeah. I don't know how they can top last season because I feel like the last, especially the last like four or five episodes was just like, you know, banger. It was just so good. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going to go. What else they're yeah. going to pull into because, you know, we're getting not too close, but I mean, we're still, you know, there's still a lot that they can build on. So Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, because we've got, I mean, young Han Solo isn't too far away. I don't think so. I'm hoping maybe Darth Maul will show up at some point. Yeah, because he was at the end of Solo. But I, I mean, this is just speculation and like. Yeah, purely... well, this is this is post. This is like um, a few years after. Oh dang! Yeah, Return I got that completely Jedi. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, I got that wrong. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Darth Maul's around anymore. No. Yeah, I'm but, thinking. I got my yeah. But we've got. I mean, we still have the. Um, Ahsoka show coming, which is yeah. going to be around yeah. the same time period. Yeah, I mean, and Luke is still out there, and like he is. you know, yeah, who's he? Trying yeah, to... it's like who knows what they're going to do with it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm excited to see where it goes. I, you know, it's a 30, 40 minutes of TV that I really look forward to every week. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the upcoming weeks when uh, when it really starts. Yeah, getting it gets going. more intense. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Perfect. Well, I think with that, we're going to go into our feature presentation. A Clockwork Orange from 1971. The letterbox summary is being the adventures of a young man whose principal interests are rape, ultraviolence, and Beethoven. And the summary is in the near future, Britain, young Alex DeLarge and his pals get their kicks beating and raping anyone they please. When not destroying the lives of others, Alex swoons to the music of Beethoven. The state, eager to crack down on juvenile crime, gives an incarcerated Alex the opportunity to undergo an invasive procedure that'll rob him of all personal agency. In a time where conscious is a commodity, can Alex change his tune? Uh, We've both seen this before, I believe, right, Brandon? Yes. When did you last see it? I've only seen, before watching it for the show... I had only seen it once. Yeah. Um, and I saw it like more than 10 years ago. Like maybe I feel, even closer to 15 years ago. I feel I was the same. Yeah. I can remember watching it while I was in my final years of secondary school. So like high school. Yeah. Um, because of the, like the controversy around it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I've seen it, like watched it since. Well, was that around the time that it was starting to make circulation again? Because it had been, I mean, I think I mean it had been back. I think it was the nineties that it started kind of coming back around. Yeah. Um, and then so after this, Stanley died, it was like, yeah, like re-released or something. Yeah. Um, but I just I, I just knew that it had been banned in England for a long time, and that like Kubrick himself had banned it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like either this is going to be like really incredibly like out there or Kubrick was so embarrassed by it that he didn't want anyone to see it, which isn't the right. case. But like right, my yeah, young yeah. mind was like, either way, this is something I've, I need to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a while from that until re-watching it. Um, mm-hmm. Did you remember anything about it? You know, it's like it's weird. Like I definitely did remember things about it. Yeah. Like, ma- like things that just stick with you, and then you're just like, 
I don't know if I can go back to that movie. Cause yeah. It's, yeah. Because of the, you know, I can remember the feeling that I felt watching it more than, you know, specific images or, you know, real specifics, I guess. It's like the the opening shot is like unforgettable. Yeah. Uh, because it's just, I mean, Malcolm McDowell's look and it, the style, the eyelash, the narration, and the long pullback shot into this milk bar with these weird female mannequins, you know, with their boobs yeah. out where you get the milk from. It's like, yeah. it's it's such a shocking, bizarre opening that it, you're just like, what am I getting into? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I remembered, of course, that there's like rape scenes and they, they're just like sickening to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I forgot like kind of the, the way that everything plays out and like forgot that, Oh, like in the first 10 minutes, like is the, like the most horrible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't give you a second to kind of sink into it. It's straight from the off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, I was very unsure Mm. of what I was going to think about this movie now, because basically all I could remember was the movie kind of, made me sick i didn't understand it and uh and yeah i was just like it basically in my mind i was like okay that's one of the darkest movies ever made yeah be careful going back to that (laughs) yeah yeah um so yeah i was just really unsure what i was gonna think this time and i liked it a lot more than i expected this time around I think mm. because I've I've got a lot more life experience. I'm older. I I kind of understood the film a little more of what he was trying to do. I understand cinema history a lot more. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's there's so many crazy things about this movie. Like, it, this movie could not have been made at any other point in history. I mean, yeah. the early like the first few years of the '70s are some of the craziest shit you'll ever see <laughs> in your life. Yeah. Like, I mean, Pink Flamingos was, what, 72? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, this was, like, when cinema was just let loose. Like, you know, the the, the Hayes Code was gone. The, the rating system was just now being created. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we can do anything. We can put pornography on screen we can eat shit on screen yeah you know it was like the reins were let loose and everything went so far out there and then eventually got pulled back in a little bit and kind of found its like middle ground i guess yeah um but the fact that this is like a studio made film where they let kubrick do whatever he wanted and it was released in cinemas like blows my mind yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Insane. I know. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into, you know, what the film's about and yeah. and kind of our thoughts on it and stuff. But I, uh, I'm not quite sure. I don't. I, I I'm interested to see what you think because I'm. Yeah. It it is still a very disturbing film. Yeah, but the way that it presents the subject matter 
is it's very interesting. I, yeah. I'm I'm hesitating to like get too far into it because we kind of just started talking about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like what was what was your what was your reaction this time? Yeah, I think like like you, I had very strong images from this film, and probably just because you've seen them a lot anyway. You know, yeah. like the the with him with his eyes kind of clamped open, um, and them sitting in the milk bar and them driving in the car, you know, and the the giant statue of a penis all that kind of thing i feel like i've seen a lot yeah you know um so going back to it yeah i was probably not as um i don't think it i don't know it's hard to say i don't think that i was kind of skeptical about going back to it um just more like okay let's see if this is you know how it plays out from my memories i guess yeah um and i don't i think comp comparable to what we see now it's still very like shocking but i don't think it's in the same i don't i I think it's more mental than it is showing you yeah you know whereas now now when we see something like this on a film it's very kind of graphic to the point of it takes you away from it Mm. whereas with this it's more of them like playing with the victims you know, in yeah. terms of like mm-hmm. mentally, yeah, um, that's the real like shocking part of it, um, and yeah, just the kind of just the need to go and do it, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I think, and then again, you know, the flip side of it is when Alex is incarcerated, that side's shocking as well. Mm-hmm. You know, with his eyes clamped open, it just looks like the most horrific thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it's. Um, it's such a juxtaposition between the two that you don't. There's not. There's not a respite from the the feeling of unease. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, you come out of it a bit unsure of what to make of it. I don't think I love this film. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's hard to be like I love Clockwork Orange. Yeah, you know, I can understand the the themes and I can understand what's trying to be said um, through the film, but I. Again, with Kubrick, I mean, with Lolita, he's picked another novel that is very hard to translate onto the screen. Yeah. You know, I don't know why. I mean, I probably do because no one else could probably do it. But, you know, it's it's hard to to get this across in the, in the same way as the book, I'm sure. Because the yeah. book is, you know, it's all in kind of the, the Drew speak and, and right. all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, it's... Um, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, the the thing that caught me this mm. time around um, was it at you know after he goes through the whole um, rehabilitation process. Yeah. And they're they're showing him, they're showing off him on a stage. You know, yeah. the, the doctor is like showing that he's not going to be violent. Um. Like first off, that whole sequence is kind of sadistic. You, yeah, you kind of get the sense that oh, these like these people on the moral side are kind of just as sadistic. Yeah, you know, in yeah. in like putting this guy through it. I mean, especially like you see the prison guard like smiling while he's like, yeah, suffering or whatever. Um, but then there's the line where he's like. 
he will be your true Christian boy, or he'll mm. he'll be your true Christian or whatever. Mm. And there's the whole question, you know, the priest comes up there and there's the whole question of like free will. Yeah. And um you know, whether or not that matters. Yeah. And you know, I kind of like that that's kind of where it clicked for me. I was like, oh, like this movie is about right and wrong, like good and yeah. evil and like what what that means um and what free will means and like I mean, kind of going back to this theme that Kubrick has has started of like man, you know, that he did with 2001 where like man man evolved from an act of violence. Yeah. Yeah. And um and so that's kind of like in all of us. So that that theme is kind of there, but also this theme of like choice and free will where like I've heard so many Christians in particular talking about you know arguing against atheism and saying uh like what keeps an atheist from raping yeah and it's like okay is the bible what keeps you yeah. from raping like yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> because it's horrible yeah you know because violence is horrible because raping is horrible like mm. that's what keeps people from doing it not yeah. because the bible tells them not to yeah um so like that when that kind of clicked for me I was like oh this is a lot more interesting than I remember. Yeah. Yeah and I I think leading on from that as well the the thing that struck me this time is just the the representation of um good and evil or the representation of like evil people you know in terms of Alex himself he's a huge fan of Beethoven which is kind of like a joke but when you think about it like classical music is seen as a high art you know it's it's kind of what um it goes along with intelligence you feel like it's you know shorthand for people that that are intelligent listen to classical music and have a, right. like a real passion for it and and like upstanding citizens you know um and it's just like you know just because it, it's not a case of someone having the same traits as everyone else as being evil yeah you know um, anyone could be evil. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't necessarily rely on what you like and what you don't like and, and what position you're in and, you know, or how it's dished out. Yeah. Um, we also yeah. got the sense with Alex in particular that like, okay, if, you know, it's like, it's really disturbing to, to kind of just follow him throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Um, but like if he was, a prince like if he was joffrey from yeah. game of thrones it would all make sense yeah you know you would kind of love to hate him you yeah. know what i mean it's exactly. like he's just despicable but because he's like in this modern slash futuristic world and he's just like a regular dude yeah it's so just dis- it's like so much more disturbing yeah because the you, you want him to like get better, you know, that's the thing. You yeah. want him to get better. And I'm like, where is this compassion for this awful character from? The first yeah. hour of the film is he is just like vile, you know, yeah. but you still are rooting for him to not be brainwashed, I guess. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's a, like, it puts you in a weird position as a viewer of how to react, 
Well, know? yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge um, credit to McDowell and oh, his yeah. performance. Like he he comes across as this very ch- childish boy, you yeah. know, and yeah. and you know, you get the sense that he's just he's not. I mean, you get the sense that he's a psychopath, but you also get yeah. the sense that he's he just has not grown up. Yeah. Um yeah, it's very it's very bizarre. But then you go into, you know, when he goes into prison before they rehabilitate him, he's like trying to be a good boy and stuff mm-hmm. and he's reading the Bible and it goes into the sequences where he's just in love with <laughs> the violence and the rape yeah. is within yeah. the Bible. Like and yeah. that's why he like that's why he's reading it. Yeah. Um and yeah, throughout the whole thing, you kind of are hoping he'll get better, but he just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole yin, yin and yang thing. You can't have one without the other. Like as far back as, you know, as we can remember, these things have been a part of our society, unfortunately, um, even to the Bible. And it's kind of, you know, like you said, yeah, he's attracted to those things in the Bible and they're there, you know, they're in there. Yeah. It's not like I read the Bible, so everything in there is, you know, preachy like terrible things happen in there too yeah um, and i think that's the you know that this that this does happen in our culture still yeah um yeah it's um it's it's a mind bending two hours <laughs> yeah it is um a few of the things that um so i watched some behind the scenes stuff and i've also yeah. been reading this book from uh dave is it david mckick Mikix. Yes. Uh, and um <laughs> every time I'm like, what's this guy's name? <laughs> uh <laughs> one of the things that he quotes in there is from a psychiatrist and man Emmanuel uh Schwartz. Um yeah. and it he's talking about um he's talking about film in general here. Okay, just like yeah. basically a- any movie. Like pick any movie, and he's he's like we've seen so many times that the body of a film serves merely as an excuse for motivating a final blood crazed slaughter by the hero of his enemies, and at the same time to release the audience the guilt of enjoying this mayhem. Um, a Clockwork Orange, unlike most Hollywood products, makes the audience feel guilty about enjoying it. The guilt gets mixed. Yeah, anyway, it's I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but like the guilt gets mixed with the pleasure while you're watching it. Yeah. Um, and so you feel like the whole time you kind of have this like you said this yin-yang weird uh disturbing feeling, but like also it's nothing we haven't seen before in other movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's like uh it's just that that quote is so on point because it's like when you think about it it's like yeah like every hero of a movie it it, the first two acts are just excuses so that you get on this protagonist side to where at the end he just goes after all the people that he needs to (laughs) go after yeah go after you know for justice or for revenge or you know he's somehow justified in our minds to just commit mayhem on his enemies right yeah um and that's and that's the weird catharsis that filmmakers do i mean so many movies do this to where you're like yeah kill him yeah i know yeah 
And I mean, in in terms of anti-heroes, you know, film noir especially, you know, in there there's a lot of people that we're rooting for that are not good people, you know. And I'm like, well, yeah. what is what is the difference between them exactly and the Drukes, you yeah. know, apart from the rape that we see? Yeah, you know, is it are we conditioned that violence is okay, but like that's not, you know, or like right. or, is that how films are kind of portrayed? I guess I'd, it's, yeah, it's um, it's a conundrum. <laughs> well, and then and then by the time you get to the end of the movie, um, and he goes back to this uh, writer's house, and then yeah. the writer realizes who he is because he's like singing, singing, singing in the rain, rain in the bathtub, yeah. um, and then the writer starts to to mess with Alex and torture him with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's a moment where you almost in a normal movie you would take pleasure in yeah and watching alex be tortured and and this guy kind of getting his revenge because it you know what happened to him and his wife was so horrific Mm. but then you get that shot of him just taking you know taking all that pleasure in you know as he's like hearing alex suffer yeah, and it just makes you sick again. You're just yeah. like, this isn't no, this isn't right. This isn't yeah. good. Yeah. Um. So I think there's a lot there. There's a there's a lot in this movie that works. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. in this movie that is is um, it's challenging. Sorry, I almost fell. <laughs> there's a lot in this movie that is challenging the. Uh, the status quo and challenging yeah. what it is that audiences want and get out of cinema. Yeah. It's exactly. literally yeah. pushing the walls of the form to be like, yeah. Oh, you like this? Well, how about I serve it to you? Uh, I, how about I serve you dessert first? Yeah. And then you get to your main course and then you get your appetizer. How does that make yeah. you feel? Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's, I don't know. It's it's unlike anything else. I think mm-hmm. that's for sure. Because other movies that are this disturbing don't really say anything. No, exactly. And you, the, the the disturbing is the selling factor. Whereas I think for this, the 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 things that are disturbing don't aren't the thing that you should go and see this film for. Yeah, you know, it's the comments on society and capital punishment and and rehabilitation and all that kind of stuff yeah exactly Um, which i don't think you expect going into it at all yeah um some other interesting things about this movie i think are that like it it just kind of blows my mind that this is i mean it's like you said like after dr strangelove kubrick kubrick has a totally different kind of career and yeah. trajectory. Yeah. So this almost feels like his second movie, even though it's like his, what, eighth? Eighth, Or yeah. something? Ninth. Seventh, eighth, ninth? Yeah. It's his ninth? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just, it's just crazy that he, that these movies were successful, for one thing, because they're just so out there and boundary pushing. Yeah. But just that, like, he did 2001 and then turns around and does this, and it's like, where where is this guy yeah. coming from? Yeah, exactly. What's going to be next? You know, you just can never 
I mean, we've seen that for, I mean, yeah, I mean, the first few films, you know, there's those overarching themes of war and kind of um, the, the, the hero struggling against, you know, the patriarchy and stuff like that. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, this falls into that patriarchy um, theme. But yeah, it's it's just they they just feel so far removed from what we've already seen. Yeah. You know, the filmmaking's different, the shots are different, the, the characters mm-hmm. that are presented are not characters that we're familiar with. Yeah. You know, everything is just different and like yeah. heightened. Um and it's I mean, it it's what's made them what they are. You know, it's what's yeah. made Kubrick so talked about is because it's not the same none of these work on the same level as the last yeah and you have to have a real i think as a casual viewer it's hard to kind of go from one to the other you know you have to have a real love for the art form to be able to jump like that i think and i'm not saying that you can't watch these films and enjoy them but i think to look at them all it's hard to jump from one to the other yeah you know well one of the the critics and the behind the scenes stuff yeah. Uh was saying that at this point Kubrick is no longer he's no longer referencing other filmmakers or looking at what other no. people have done. He's now just deep into cinema and referencing himself and just yeah. pushing yeah. to the next level. Um cuz you get that when you see whenever Alex goes into the, like the record store and you see a 2001 album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there. You're like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool." Yeah. Um, which also brings up the point of like how he uses, you know, classical music in both of these movies are totally different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's undercut, you know, some of the worst images by this, you know, transcendent classical music in here and just, um, yeah. And Alex's love for it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's mad. I mean, the, the effect that it had on the public is, immense and i think it's probably you know i don't i don't want to say that kubrick was i mean his wife said that you know about 20 30 minutes through the film she felt physically ill but she admitted that was the point you know so i think that he wanted this outrage but i mean in 1974 arizona introduced a bill um which became known as the clockwork orange bill um which proposed to protect prison inmates who volunteered for therapy programs. So that was, you know, put in place to make sure that this kind of thing wouldn't happen to inmates, um, which is a good, you know, it's a good thing. Um, But then also there was a lot of bad things that happened because Because of the movie. Yeah. People, for some reason, thought Alex was a hero and wanted to dress like him and act like him and, you know, um, and especially well, I mean, he's like he's yeah. having so much fun. Yeah, and he's and he looks he looks great. Like you said, yeah. like that opening shot is so iconic. Yeah, you know you can't. It's the costume and the and McDowell's performance as well. It's just like it is magnetizing. Yeah, you well, know? it's the same thing that happened after Reservoir Dogs. Is like everybody started yeah. you know dressing in black suits with skinny black ties. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those aren't, those guys aren't anybody to look up to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like it. It, it is. It, it's 
like I said, it, this movie could not have been made in any other time, I don't think. No. But it's also, you know, 1971. This is just a few years after, like, the Manson murders. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a time yeah. where, like, these young hippies were committing horrible acts of violence and people were scared. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure it just felt a lot more real. And then, and there were some like copycat crimes. Yeah, yeah, know, especially from, in England. Weirdly, yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is part of the reason. I mean, I wanted to get onto why Kubrick banned it in England himself. You know, I mean, he had just made the move um, just after two thousand and one to come and live in England yeah. um, with his wife. And I think there's a she said something about how when they were leaving America, there was a lot of talk about. Um, the wars and like kind of depression and kind of what was going on, um, especially against Russia. Um, I don't know if the Cold War was still going on, but towards Vietnam, possibly at this time, American history is a bit spotty. Um, and then when she said when they landed in England, they turned on the radio, pretty much expecting to hear the same thing. Um, and they got um, a, a show about um, gardening and like how to keep your flowers alive. <laughs> And yeah. it was kind of like that, like, okay, we're in a safer place. Not a safer place, but we're in a place where these things can't infiltrate us on the same basis as they do in America. Yeah. Um, so I think that Kubrick felt a very real responsibility to England and kind of keeping keeping it like that, I guess, you know. Mm, um, yeah. And when these copycat killers started popping up and, and people started, you know, imitating the droogs and dressing like them and, and attacking, you know, women, he, he decided that, he was going to pull it and not let anyone see it yeah. um, in England. And it came to the point where a, a British TV channel made a documentary on it and showed, you know, around 20 minutes of clips on, on it. And he sued them because wow. he was like, no one's, no one should see this film. Yeah, that is crazy. It's crazy that it got to that point. Um, I mean, I guess it was just, I don't know. It would be so interesting to he to hear what he would think about it now. I know. Yeah. I mean, I know that the ban was eventually lifted. You know, yeah. he, like you know, people could go and see it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, because even it, the book that the other book that I read, um, Stanley and me, that's like written by his assistant. Like he didn't. It sounds like he didn't like to talk about a Clockwork Orange. Like anytime anybody would bring it up, he'd just be like, "Yeah, change I the think, subject." I think that just seeing what the effect it could have on the public, you know, he kind of went the wrong way. I think, and you know, it probably plays into the mystery of the film where you're supposed to, you know, nobody's the good guy <clears throat> yeah. to the point where people were idolizing Alex and the Drugs. Yeah, you know. Um, and I can imagine that, especially as a filmmaker, like how responsible you should feel. Yeah. You know, to do that. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, but again, you know, sending it underground means that people are going to find different ways to try and track down the film. And yeah, it's going to become, you know, yeah, yeah, just more like than a it. mysterious legend. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You've got to take the, you know, the gravitas out of it. And unfortunately, like removing it from circulation is not the way to do that. It yeah. just adds to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reaction to this film is is insane. And I think we see it a lot now. Of you know, we there's a lot of times where people get obsessed, like um, 
with Taxi Driver. Um, mm. I can't remember the the guy um, that became obsessed with like Jodie Foster and stuff. You know, there's a lot of times in film history where films have influenced people the wrong way, yeah. and um, and you get back to that age old discussion of, you know, should films be responsible or you know should this be something that they're taking in like notice of and and if not yeah. you know what can be done i don't know um because I, th- I think it's the person that sees it. i don't think it's the film that influences people i don't yeah. want to dress as a droog and go around killing homeless people you know but yeah some people it will just speak to them won't it unfortunately and be the catalyst they need yeah I feel like we're getting into the the deeper topics of film criticism now <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's a question that it's you can't really answer it, you know. No, exactly. I mean, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you then, can see the way that the mass responds to film, but mm. but you know, they don't always they don't always respond the same way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um Yeah. I don't I don't think it's my favorite Kubrick. I don't think it's it speaks to me on the same level as some of the other films that we've seen. Yeah, I I mean I I think this is I th- I think rewatch for me rewatching this has kind of sparked a new interest in this movie that I didn't mm. have before where I'm like mm. I want to kind of learn a little more about it and really cuz like I said it's like that I I, th- I think that it is saying something very important. Yeah. You know, that yeah. um that free will does matter and the reason people's reason you know, for um, being good matters as much as um, the act of being good itself. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, of course we need laws in place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course we need regulation and all of that stuff. Um, but if, like, if the fact that murder is against the law and you'll go to prison for it is the only reason you don't kill people yeah you're not a good person yeah exactly yeah um so i i mean i just find that i just find that really interesting um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's not it's not my favorite kubrick film either yeah but it's it's definitely gotten a lot higher than i expected it to be before i rewatched it yeah and i think that like like you said, it, it's tough because the other films that we've watched, especially earlier, are just like a fun to sit and watch. Where this is not, and it's not. Right. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. like a, you know, I'm going to put this on to relax at the end of the day. It's like I'm going to put yeah, this on it, and kind of it's going to say something about society and human nature. Yeah. Um, it's so not it comfort does, food. It's not the two no, towers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not. It, you know, and it. It's yeah. I mean, enjoyment factor always plays a part into it. And I I think that while what it's trying to say is super important and is, you know, very deep and philosophical, um, the enjoyment factor for me just drops, <laughs> yeah. you know, as the yeah. film progresses, um, which is, you know, probably part of what we're trying to do as well. You know, it's not, yeah. you know, part of it was like sitting like Alex with the eye clamps, mm-hmm. you know, you're forcing yourself to keep watching it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because he's he's basically watching the same thing that we're watching. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's seeing yeah. these horrible acts of violence put to Beethoven. Yeah, and so we... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's a very layered movie. Yeah, um, but it it somehow touches a. I as all great films do, it touches some kind of like basic core. You know, yeah, ba- like basic simple um, morality question. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, because of that, I think it just it works. But it's also one of those movies that I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you watch no. it until you're like maybe in your 30s yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, you've got to be out of that, you know, I don't be able to read the subtext. Yeah. So that the, you know, the images aren't going to deter you away from it, I guess. Yeah. And even, even if you watch this, you know, when you're older, I, I don't yeah. think. I don't think you're going to get everything that first watch anyway, because there's just so much. Yeah. You know, like, it's like watching it this time, I was kind of bracing, you know, so yeah. it's like. And I think I it's a, like we we both said when we watched it the first time, we could viv- vividly remember things from it, yeah. but not necessarily the the message. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it was like the 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 mask with the nose and the, the car mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the outfits and stuff like that. So Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's some interesting behind the scenes stuff with this movie too. If you if you watch the the features mm. and stuff on the Blu-ray, um, Malcolm McDowell kind of like him and Kubrick just hit it off. They were kind of like yeah. buddies the whole the whole shoot and stuff, and he kind of expected that to kind of continue on. But like after this, like Kubrick like never called him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is kind of sad to hear, but it's also, I mean, that probably had something to do with like Kubrick's kind of unease with how everything turned out with this movie and stuff. Potentially. Um, And he was becoming a recluse at this point as well. Yeah, You know, Mm -hmm. he was, uh, those stories of there was, you know, he hired a driver, but wouldn't let them drive over 35 miles an hour just Mm -hmm. because of how worried he was about, you know, getting into an accident. He had a pilot's license, but he didn't like to fly. Yeah, you know all these kind of things where he's just like slowly just retreating back. Yeah, um, and you know, I guess part of it was to make him feel comfortable, McDowell, to give a performance that he wanted. You know, there's that like air of oh, I can trust this guy, and then he's you know he's used him, he's moving on. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's you know one of the things that they would do when they were recording the voiceover um, of McDowell's character. Um, it took them two weeks, but they would take breaks and go play ping pong. Mm. And uh, and then months later, McDowell's agent was like, hey, you haven't been paid for these two weeks for, for doing the voiceover. And he was like, oh, well, I'm, I'll see Stanley soon. I'll ask yeah. him about it. And then he was like, hey, um, Stanley, my agent says I haven't been paid for these two weeks uh, of voiceover. And he like pulls out this pocket notebook and he's like flipping through it and he looks at it and he's like I'll pay you for one week and he's like what and he's like the other week was ping pong (laughs) (laughs) just like such a like I don't know what to call that it's like what do you even say it's like okay yeah fine (laughs) I guess yeah (laughs) I mean it's like you wanted to play ping pong yeah, yeah. I know that McDowell, you know, had a few brushes with death while making this film as well. Um, oh, really? The scene where they're holding his head underwater, um, 
when you go back and watch it, it goes. Yeah, it dude. Doesn't I was thinking. Break. That. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is such like, is did they slow this down or? No. But then I was yeah. like, it doesn't look like it because yeah, yeah, he's underwater for so long. Yeah, he almost yeah he almost blacked out while doing it. You know, it was like to the last second where they pulled him out, um, and when they were putting the clamps in his eye, it came oh, very yeah. close to scratching his retina and. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. just. There, there was a point I think in the behind the scenes stuff they're talking about that where he's like he he literally did start to freak out and mm. tried to like shake loose. They have him in a straight jacket, so he yeah. can't like use his arms. And he he kind of shook too much, and the thing just like scraped his eye. And it's like, yeah, geez. yeah. And I think that that's something that I know we talk about Kubrick, but Medal's performance and like the things he went through to get what they got. Um, yeah. cannot be overlooked it's it's absolute you know it's committing fully to the part and like trusting in the vision you know um it's incredible yeah yeah uh, anything else you want to say on a clockwork orange brand before we move on i don't think so man i think that's <laughs> i guess i could go on and on like there, yeah. there's like a lot of i mean the set design the costumes all of that stuff like the the I don't I'd have to kind of look and see you know compare other movies like there's I don't know if like that time lapse scene where he has like the threesome and like the music yeah. is sped up was that like the first time anybody had ever done anything like that I think um, that part partly was to get past the censors I think because uh, yeah. it did get an X rating which in America is kind of like associated with like porn films which they really didn't want to. So Kubrick yeah. tried to like speed that up and put the music over the top of it so that you it would feel like you weren't watching what you were watching. Right, yeah. Um but they were like, no, we can still see, you know, the bits <laughs> that would yeah. make this an X rated sound. Yeah. But I guess he cut it down enough to get an R. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah X rated just meant that it it couldn't be shown in some cinemas. I mean, some cinemas wouldn't show X-rated films, so the distribution right, yeah. was cut down, and um, and there was a few um, like um, religious groups that kind of condemned it and said not to see it. Um, and, I can't imagine why. Yeah, Just and kidding. there's a there's a <laughs> there's a very <laughs> strong letter that because um, there was a a certain town I can't remember which one it was that basically were like you know we don't want this being shown in our town at all. And Kubrick was like, the fact that you're coming in to ban media is the whole reason why I'm making this film. Yeah. Like, you're not allowing freedom of speech or people to make up their own minds. And he kind of, and he made a very long <laughs> um, comparison to Nazi Germany as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Which I think, you know, again, same with Kubrick throughout the whole thing. He's still fighting to get his films seen by people, you know. Yeah. It's still fighting this battle that we've seen ever since Paths of Glory. So Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean thankfully it's it's available in in true form now. We can watch it kind of whenever we want. So Yeah. Yeah. Um cool. Okay. Do you want to guess what we'd rate it on Letterboxd? Yes. Um this is a hard one. Uh-huh. I'm gonna say I don't know. I it's it's hard to say because I feel like you don't like the movie as much as me at this moment. Mm. 
But I feel like you still probably gave it. Mm, I want to say four, but maybe three and a half. Okay. Because you said that probably didn't like it as much. I'm going to say you gave it four and a half. All right. Um, yeah, I gave it four. Okay, I gave it four. Okay, cool. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I think, yeah, like we said, I think there's there's a lot in here and I can understand the message and I get what he's trying to say. Um, and it's made incredibly well, as always. Um, yeah. But the enjoyment factor just, you know, I, I don't want to go back and watch this straight yeah. away. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for me, I just, I feel like this is, an, this is, this film is, um, saying something important that I don't, I've, I, I tried to articulate it the best I could on this part podcast, yeah. <laughs> on this podcast, but uh, yeah, I think I need a few more watches to really yeah. be able to to say yeah why yeah, and that's good. A, a good film should always leave you wanting more or yeah. wanting to learn more about it. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Apparently, the book actually ends with Alex being becoming better. Okay, like he he does he does make a choice to be good. Yeah, uh, and I don't necessarily think that's the no. right direction because um, I think you like from the film you get the sense that he's just evil. You know that he's just that he's not gonna change. Yeah. And, um, not to say that people can't change, but it's like, I mean, if you rape and murder people, like you're not, I don't. I yeah, don't know. no, I know. What you mean. It's like yeah. you should be in prison at yeah, least. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. you got to pay for those crimes. Yeah. Um. So, oh yeah, the other thing was Anthony Burgess, the guy that wrote the novel. Uh, he kind of wrote it in a drunken frenzy, based yeah. on something similar that happened to him and his wife. Yeah. Which I think is a very interesting. Like, it's a lot more disturbing, mm-hmm. but it's also it, it also kind of makes you realize that the film is is saying something maybe that you not you're not catching the first time you watch it or you wouldn't yeah. expect is that yeah. this film is written by the victims, yeah, and the victims putting themselves in the shoes of the character of the yeah. person that committed these crimes. Um, yeah. With, yeah, I think that, I think that just puts a totally different, like spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a I different way to look at it. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like, this is, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I know that Burgess got really frustrated as time went on of people keep coming to him to try and um, justify the film and like explain it. And he was like, it's not mine to explain. It's not my film. You know? Yeah. It, it's Kubrick's. You should be asking him. And obviously he was very tight-lipped about anything from this point mm-hmm. on, really. Yeah. So, you know, people kept coming to Burgess. And I think towards the end, he just got very frustrated with the fact that he had to explain it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like you're putting your your trauma out there. Yeah. And, and now you're having to talk about it constantly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Shall we do the ranking? Where do you think it's going to go? I think probably lower than 
I expected potentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like it's a good question. Um, cause all of these movies are good. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Um, man, it's, it's really hard to say. I feel like on the one hand, a clockwork orange is like on a different level. Yeah. Than yeah. Passive Glory and Doctor Strange Love and, yeah. and all all of those. Um But I also just enjoy Passive Glory yeah, and Doctor Strange Love by watching them Me too. a lot more. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so maybe maybe just under Doctor Strange Love. That's what Question I was mark? thinking. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think you know it. The the killing, as much as I love the killing, this is a this is saying more and is a yeah. better made film. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that that's a really good place to put it. Yeah. Okay, coming in at number four, Clockwork Orange. Um, so from bottom to top, from number nine, we have Fear and Desire. Eight is Spartacus. Seven, Lolita. Six, Killers Kiss. Five, The Killing. Four, Clockwork Orange. Three, Doctor Strange Love, two, Paths of Glory, and then number one is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, will it ever be moved from the top spot? We'll find out. Maybe next week. What are we going to be watching next week, Brandon? Next week, my little Drew, we're going to be watching <laughs> Barry Lyndon from 1975, a film I have not seen. This Me will neither. be the last Kubrick film yeah. I haven't seen. Yeah, I'm excited to tick it off and get it watched. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's going to be wild. It is. And I think that brings (laughs) us to the end of the show. Uh, You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio. And you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Selman Scope. And and I am at Walker Lewis 3007 to keep up with what we've been watching in real time. We also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Please leave us a rating and review so we know if you liked the film, if you didn't, and what you would pick for us to watch in the future. Um, All that's left to say, though, Brandon, is... I don't care about the dangers, Father. I just want to be good. I want for the rest of my life to be one act of goodness. The question is whether or not this technique really makes a man good. Goodness comes from within. Goodness is chosen. When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. I don't understand the whys and wherefores. I only know I want to be good. Amen. Amen. See you, Film Church Press. See you next week, Sunday. Bye. Bye.